Hey, I'm Alex. Hi, I'm Val. And we're here to talk about... Calling All Cars. <laughs> Which is an episode of Sopranos. It's season four, episode 11, in fact. Yeah, so we're getting near the end of season four. And it's an interesting episode, just in terms of the way it functions in the season for me, and kind of what happens in terms of the plot moving forward. It's not a standard TV episode in terms of what we would expect to be happening near the end of a season. It's really weird when you think about where this season ends, which if you're watching this for the first time, you don't know yet. Yeah. But I'm going to want to, yeah, like I've said, I'm going to want to talk about the whole season all together at some point too and we will so tune in about a week from when you're listening to this and this comes out and we'll be putting out our season four recap like two weeks two weeks yeah Yeah. but it is interesting because we have the benefit of having seen the show in its entirety but season four ends up somewhere where you probably wouldn't expect from seeing this episode for the first time and in terms of the drama that they're presenting the most present danger kind of seems to be this new york new jersey conflict and that's where the episode is left with tony in miami talking to little carmine we feel like we're really gearing up to that and in some ways that is not exactly where everything leads maybe it is or maybe it is (laughs) (laughs) or maybe it is but for me, there's like a couple different storylines that are happening in this episode, and everything's on a rather small scale, but it does seem significant. So there's, for me, kind of three main storylines. There's the one with Junior, which gets almost no airtime, mm-hmm. but is important. Mm-hmm. Junior is deemed to be mentally fit to face stand trial. To stand trial. And now they're going to try and get a juror in their pocket. Yeah, which is interesting, actually, when they say that, they're saying, we're working really hard on it, on getting a juror, which is interesting because we know that they aren't. It's never been discussed. It feels like the Junior is such an afterthought. There's no screen time that's really even given to Junior's story. It's, like, maybe, like, a couple minutes. Probably, I think, like, three scenes. Yeah, it's almost nothing. Yeah. And in terms of what everybody is focused on, Junior is just so far gone now. Coming from season one where he's the main player, now it's just kind of in in isolation and it's Mm -hmm. just kind of happening outside of all these other conflicts and worries that we have. He's got shaving cream on his face. Yeah. Tony like wipes him off. Yeah. And actually there's something interesting about him in one of the few scenes we saw. We see the artwork behind his sofa. So you see old furniture. I don't even know what you would call the pattern, like tweed or something. Mm -hmm. But... The picture of the flowers in this kind of dark color palette and with kind of like a swirly kind of, I don't know, sort of like dark impressionistic version of flowers. For me in this episode, it really stood out for me as representing kind of decay and and Junior kind of being a character who is decaying and kind of decomposing even in some ways like we're seeing them fall apart in front of our eyes and that's imagery that's been there throughout the entire show that artwork's always been there and we've looked a lot at how they use artwork in different rooms to represent what different characters are going through but i think that since season one junior is just on this downward trajectory and he is just kind of like a decaying person Mm -hmm. it's all just kind of falling apart and he's just moving towards death And he's a representation of a time that doesn't exist anymore and isn't really in place anymore Mm. in the world that he's in. Well, it's interesting in light of what AJ says during the seance. He said, and 
Bobby asks, Bobby Jr. asks, why is the spirit only talking to you? And he says, because I'm the oldest and closest to death. Right. And I think Junior is the oldest character in our show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, now that Olivia's dead. Yeah. I think that's, he's the oldest one we know. Yeah. We do see that creepy old woman in Tony's dream. Who I think is Livia? Maybe. Looks like Livia. We'll talk but about the dreams. Yeah. But. We'll get there. Yeah, anyways. (laughs) But yeah, it's interesting, too, when they talk about his competency and his declining competency and making a case that he's not competent enough to stand trial. And he is now forced to stand trial. But there actually is kind of a question out in some ways of if he actually is. I know. It's it's still so ambiguous. I mean, like the line for me that really gets me is when the lawyer says to the judge, uh, my client and I haven't had a single conversation where he's present yeah or something like like where he's contributing in any way or something yeah. like that it's like at the very end of the scene before we see junior going out and getting in the car yeah and for me that really is like a question of is the lawyer i mean that's a good strategy that's a good truth. way to sell I know, it but like we don't get to see his face right. when he's saying it i don't I know it's interesting yeah I don't know. Yeah, you have to wonder. I mean, yeah. we, we don't know. I mean, that is how you would sell it if you were a lawyer. But at the same time, we're not seeing their interactions. Yeah. And there's so much evidence that's presented for both sides of is the junior competent case. Yeah. That the whole point, I think, is to make it ambiguous. The, the junior. The junior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is with me and junior. Whenever I write junior, I always capitalize. I know. Like, junior! <laughs> anyway. I don't know why I speak about the junior in that way. <laughs> so my other stories, I feel like there's the junior. There's also the Bobby Janice and there's the Tony Melfi story. And that, for me, kind of summarizes what moves forward in this episode. Right. Which is interesting because, again, those are kind of – I guess there's also, like, the the New Jersey, New York. Tony yes. Carmine, Tony Johnny Sack. Yeah. That's um, the part that bores me the most in this episode. Interesting. What an – atypical mass audience member you are <laughs> i know it's just like i'm kind of tired of it i'm tired of i'm tired of this like Polly johnny sack thing mm-hmm. i feel like it's just gone on for too long <laughs> interesting well it'll come back later on in the show too so that's okay <laughs> i i you know and like i don't like johnny sack you don't like him yeah you don't like <laughs> as a person yeah as a person yeah but you don't you don't want him around? <laughs> yeah, I just don't like looking at him in the show. <laughs> interesting. Interesting perspective. Interesting take. All the truths. Yeah, super deep. Super yeah. deep take on it. Um, yeah, so in terms of, I mean, that is kind of what we would expect near the end of a season in a drama. But the other ones, I mean, Bobby coming to grips with Karen's, his, death. With Karen's death and the way that Janice is Ooh, integrating herself so into... Creepy his life and also the life of of his kids is very strange definitely very strange but it's also it's interesting because that's also propelling janice forward as a character again which she was in season two but she was not in season three Mm -hmm. and she wasn't really until this point of this season so that's kind of changing the kind of the the characters that we have and who's kind of in play in the world because she's a lot more present close to the center of Tony's orbit yeah. by being involved with with Bobby. Also, I mean, for me, I think the big thing that happens and it's subtle is all the implications of Tony quitting therapy. And that's why I think it is actually a really major episode. And I think it is really 
really, really pivotal because Tony is walking away from something that has been there essentially for the whole show. Mm -hmm. And even Since in season two, yeah. when he wasn't in therapy, it wasn't by choice. There's kind of like a malaise and an apathy that is leading his decision to not want to engage with this anymore that is different. Yeah, and I think it's kind of triggered by these dreams yeah. and their discussion of dreams. Yeah. There's something about that that seems to, like, flip some switch in him. Well, I think the center of it is really... For me, in some ways, like, the center of the episode is, is Melfi zeroing in when she says, you know, in therapy, now that you've gotten rid of putting out all these fires, what we can get after is what you're after in this brief time on earth. Yeah. And he says, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. So that aspect of figuring out what Tony Soprano wants, who he could be, is not something that he's going to put the work into. Yeah. And that's really interesting. Well, and he even says, like, you saved my life in the beginning. Like, that was for him. It was this kind of, like, concrete service. Yeah. Right? Um, but he really doesn't want to engage in this kind of deeper level thinking, although he clearly has some shit he needs to work out. Clearly. Based on those dreams. Yeah. Um, but I think it, you know, and he talks about that, like, I think he sees that as more weak than you know, being in therapy at all. Like, it's one thing to be in therapy to, like, solve a problem or solve an issue, yeah. but it's another thing to kind of engage in it. Um, I don't know how to, how to put it, like, when everything's kind of, you know, at least in his perspective, okay. Yeah. And yet, I feel like the things that have been a major problem for Tony and the things that have been holding holding him kind of in this psychological prison are still there. And I think that they do a really interesting job of reintegrating some of the symbolism that's been there for the whole show and kind of linking things back to actually the very beginning of the show mm -hmm. with what Tony was struggling with mm -hmm. to show us that his core issues have not been dealt with. Perhaps he's gotten rid of the panic attacks and some fires have been put out, but I feel like at the same time he's, he's being drawn back to a place that's actually very, very destructive for him. Yeah. And I think that that final dream, actually, him walking into that house is indicative of him kind of re-entering a realm where he's he's kind of unprotected. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I thought one line that stood out to me in those interactions or, like, in his, in the scene with Melfi where he decides to leave, when he's talking about Svetlana, he says, she doesn't want to prop me up. There's a lot of interesting things around this, actually. And, yeah. and I think that is, like, I don't know how to, how to say that. Like by by making yourself really vulnerable, right? Yeah. Like by like delving into these deeper issues of dreams, right? By like he talks about like all this self knowledge. What has it gotten me? Like yeah. I think he almost feels like it's made. And he, he talks about how in the beginning he got some leadership skills or right. something like Strategies. that. Um, but now he, you know, like for him, that's not a worthy pursuit. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, like he, he's just looking for quick answers too, right? Like he says like in his dream, right? He's in this car and it's going no place and it never seemed to get anywhere. Right. Um, he really wants Melfi to tell him what it means, right? And then he, he even kind of captures this, this not conflict, but this contradiction that she has where he's like, I thought she says dreams are wishes, 
and he's like, well, I thought you said they represent repressed urges, right? Like, right. he's not comfortable dealing in these ambiguities. Yeah. So, or these multiple meanings multiple to something. Multiple meanings, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for me, the, something that was really fascinating was the link to the very first shot of the entire show that happens in this mm-hmm. throughout this episode of Tony being framed throughout the woman's legs. Mm-hmm. And there's so much focus on legs in this episode. And is a he, good Is he framed in her legs? Yeah, like the shot, we see him and he's looking kind of confused and misplaced and we see him through the legs. That's like the first shot of Sopranos. Oh, I didn't catch that. In the pilot. That. Well, I know, I know in the pilot. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm talking about in this episode. No, no, not in this episode. But there's a lot of focus on legs. I just feel like if you think about that as being the first thing that the show puts out there and one of their themes, they're revisiting that really heavily. Mm -hmm. And there, there was a great scene where Tony has the kind of Freudian slip of saying, "Cut off her leg." uh, To about Svetlana, Mm -hmm. saying, trying to say, "Cut off the relationship," but he says, "Cut off the leg." Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because then. At that same moment, they're presenting Melfi with her legs. Very leggy, which, you know, is related to the way other characters have been represented, like Gloria in the in the doctor's office. But it's funny also with the context of Melfi in that scene, because in another part of the episode, when we first see her, she's wearing like a full suit, Mm. which is actually like very strange for her. She almost never wears clothing like that. It's actually well, the way it's presented, she's like her legs are not shown at all, which is something that's consciously either played with or not played mm-hmm. with in this no, totally. in the show. Like she goes through phases of wearing suits and skirts. I guess so, yeah. So but there is there is a moment where like when we first see her, I get a feeling that the dynamic between them is different and has changed than where it was at the beginning of the show. Where actually how much of her legs we see I feel like reflects what's happening between their relationship and where they're at and what Tony is seeing. Yeah. I, uh, I think the most important leg part in, in terms of Melfi is her stance at the end of their, like when Tony yes. walks out and she's yeah. standing with her legs open like that. And yeah. it's this like very strong stance. Like it's a very like stable It kind of looks to me stance. like it was reflecting some of her statues. Yeah, her weird statues yeah. that seem to change. Janice had some stances too near the end of the episode that I thought were similar. Yeah, yeah. And there was an emphasis on Janice's legs too. But... Yeah, there, there's something about that stance, like after Tony weirdly kisses her on the face and strokes her hair, which is a really inappropriate way to yeah. say goodbye to your psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, she's kind of like steeled herself standing there with her legs open. It's very much like the statue that's outside yeah. in her lobby. Yeah. Where this is where I'm kind of going with this in relationship to Svetlana and the Freudian slip mm-hmm. that I find really interesting is that Svetlana obviously has no leg. Which, until this viewing, I actually never really thought about in terms of playing into that symbolism the of symbolism. the legs yeah. and how that is actually the first thing we see in the entire show. Mm-hmm. And Tony being somebody who's trapped beneath between the legs. Mm-hmm. So to think of Svetlana as a character who is missing that and also a character who is uninterested in Tony is really fascinating because she is not trapping Tony. She doesn't want to trap Tony. Right. She doesn't want to be involved with Tony. She doesn't Tony. want to prop him up. And that's also affecting Tony in a, in a really interesting way yeah. because he is constantly drawn to characters and people very much like his mother, Olivia, which is, I kind of think, like the basic interpretation of those legs that he's stuck in mm-hmm. between the first season being about a mobster who has mother problems. Um, but Svetlana is kind of a different case. She, she just doesn't really want anything to do with him. She recognizes his neediness and just doesn't want to prop him up, like you said. Yeah, 
he gives her that brooch. I thought it was a ring at first, but that brooch that he tried to give Valentina. Yeah. And, you know, and she takes it. Yeah. <laughs> Which he kind of, like, admires or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even she's interesting. I think we talked about this in one of the last episodes. She's this inverse of some of the symbols that we've seen, like her use of a cigarette, I think is very much in control, whereas a lot of other characters are out of control when they're smoking cigarettes. Yeah. She's just kind of the opposite of what Tony has normally been involved with, and I think that's why he's drawn to her. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about those dreams? Yeah. I love them. I love the dreams in the show. Yeah. They're so well, great. There's some really good I, ones. These are these ones weirdly stand out for me, also yeah. these car, see, car dreams. Well, it's a reflection, right, of... A car dream that we've had earlier. When was that? That's a good question. Um, I couldn't tell you the exact episode, mm. but, you know, we have Ralphie in that state. I think bald. Was he? Anyway. But um, we're kind of going back to being in that car. I don't know. Yeah. I know. I don't I don't want to misspeak, so. Hmm. But that's okay. I don't, I, I'm not sure if we're just remembering it from another viewing. No, I think there is one where you actually see people in that car. It's in an, in an episode, I believe, with many dreams. Like there's like right. five You're or right. six. You're right. In the, and it's a short one, yes. but they are replaying one of the dream imageries. Yes. That yeah, they've already that built. Cadillac, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I like this one. I like how it opens with that caterpillar on the bald head. You don't know who it is, and then you see it's Ralphie. And, yeah. Um, also, the Carmella driving just seems so relevant to where the season is going right and tony being out of control and actually in some ways like his subconscious presenting something to him of carmella asserting herself which we have seen played throughout this Mm -hmm. through sorry throughout this season with her stealing the money Mm -hmm. doing things that she wouldn't have done taking her previously yeah so there are things there that are kind of lingering and tony is dealing with that are percolating in his subconscious yeah I, I don't it's interesting like the Ralphie caterpillar that turns into a it's not a butterfly it's actually a moth yeah um I was trying to think about about that like what that means and and Melfi asks like has he gone through a well change, that's fascinating right? that, and he says no yeah Tony says no which is crazy because he clearly has yeah he's changed into the afterlife yeah so for me that's extremely relevant I mean, that's how Ralphie has changed, and yeah. that's what his subconscious is dealing with. I wish I knew more about, like, what moths symbolized. Right. I mean, like, we have things like, you know, moths going towards flames. Right. And then we have other, like, heat imagery in this episode, too, which is kind mm-hmm. of like hell, kind of. Yeah. I don't know. So I was, I was kind of just toying with it a little bit, but yeah. I can't settle on anything yeah. and some right now. some interesting kind of like greenery too going back to like first season imagery like actually the later dream where tony is this stonemason is playing back to isabella with this italian dream of him you know with being wearing tank top and wearing tank suspenders. top his mother you know isabella there's a lot of reminiscence to those dream sequences uh and also yeah just like him going into that house surrounded by the greenery was reminding me of some of the symbolism they were using a lot earlier on in the hmm. show. And, yeah, the way that he deals with the afterlife and the idea of death is interesting. Yeah. I mean, and I believe we have another dream that happens in Car. Probably. There's a lot of dreams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'll have to, rem- I'll have to like, make a note that it happens in the episode Calling All Cars. Maybe that'll allow yeah. me to remember when we see it in the future. But 
I think there's something too about like Tony being in the back seat. Totally. And it's kind of like this childish position or like he says like women should be in the back seat. Like He actually says they should be in the sidecar. <laughs> <laughs> um I like Melfi's face when he says that. Yeah. It's it's, it's like, like disgusted. It's like what oh the fuck. <laughs> yeah, like dude. Um but yeah, no, I think there there's something about that and with Gloria that it like represents this more childish kind of way of being well like and all need, of, needing to be propped up or needing to be driven around and all know? the women that he's in relationship with are also in the back like he's they're being driven by carmella right with ralphie in the other front seat yes who's gone through this change yes but we see a couple people in the back seat with him we see svetlana in the back seat of the car really? in the in the original dream yeah huh. yeah yeah, she's like looking over at him, glowing. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, I just saw Gloria. No, you see Gloria and you see Svetlana in the backseat oh. of the car. Okay. Yeah, so you know, two women who he's recently had a relationship with. Okay. It's interesting how you don't have many references to Valentina, and Valentina doesn't show up because mm. theoretically that's his Gumar right now, but she has such a small amount of screen time around this part of the season, and right. she's not a part of his subconscious. She's not really dealt with. It's kind of fascinating. Clearly, Gloria is occupying more of his psychic space. Right. Svetlana is occupying more of his space. Yeah. And Valentina never really becomes this major character that we see all the time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting then in terms of the legs. So, I I got I missed Svetlana being there in the car in that dream, but the in the second dream we have it opens with these legs getting out of the car so it's yeah. clearly not Svetlana's legs because there's two of them. That's a good point. Um, that does. <laughs> it could be literally anybody else, but it's not Svetlana. It's not Svetlana. <laughs> and we also have Ralphie kind of like leading the way towards that yeah. house. So we have Gloria who's dead. Yeah. Right. Like, and I think it's Gloria. Those legs. They look like her yeah. legs. Um, we have her getting out of the car and leading Tony to this place. We have him like kind of following us this like weird point of view dream shot where he's following Ralphie. And so I really do see also his entrance into that house as like entering kind of the underworld. Like we do yeah. see Tony from, well, like not from this moment on, but like we see Tony descending into something really bad. Yeah. And yeah, like, and leaving therapy, like, it really is this, like, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Like, you know, he's given up. He's no longer interested in changing, I guess, like Malfi yeah. says, right? He's no longer yeah. interested in being anything else besides what he is. Yeah. And so he's made this choice. He's, like, yeah. chosen bad. He's also surrounded by dead people there. I mean, assuming it's Livia, well, that's, that's three dead people. Well, that's people. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, So I, I do see it as this kind of like underworld weird space that they're like luring him yeah. into. And of course, we have a lot of other imagery around like connecting with the un, with spirit. I don't know why I keep saying the underworld, but <laughs> um, connecting with spirits, right? With the Ouija board and seances, yeah. right? Which Vlad 666. Yeah, we'll talk about that <laughs> one too, because that one, uh, you know. Anyways, we'll talk about that one in a second. But like... Which are, you know, those ones aren't often associated with, like, contacting good spirits. Right. They're, they're more associated with, like, witchiness and, right. you know, bad yeah. spirits, evil spirits. Yeah. 
So I don't know. That's how I kind of interpret this. It's like his his kind of like giving up on wanting to make any change in his life has like allowed him to kind of descend into this more dark and evil place. Yeah. And it's interesting because now we have this symbolism of this house, right? That's yeah. associated with the afterlife. And when you take a step back and you've seen the entire show, that's linked very strongly to some other episodes. Right. We have in 6A Mayhem with Steve Buscemi, you know, there's this house that is also associated with the afterlife that we're going to see. Mm -hmm. And also... Spoiler. I mean, big spoiler. There's a house that's associated with the afterlife. Sorry for the metaphorical spoilers. <laughs> and then also the very last scene of the show, the backdrop that they built for the last scene at Holston's has a house that's actually very similar to that house and this house in some ways. The backdrop? Yeah, so at Holston's... Um, what you can see oh, on the like wall, the they built a mural and it, it has some symbolism oh. kind of on it that's reflecting oh. different things that are presented during the show. And that's one of them. And I think that's something that's very strongly introduced in this episode that becomes a major part of, of things to come. Hmm. So, yeah, th that that coping with the afterlife, I think that they are that they are building on that for sure. Yeah. I like how we have Bobby burying a cake. Yep. Um, and of course, like he's dealing with this death of his wife in a lot of, you know, interesting ways. Um, I think it's Carmela or maybe Janice who refers to it as morbid clinging. Janice, I think. Yeah. Janice. Um, but then even like Carmela says weird things like, I'm sure God has his reasons. Like There's some interesting things Karen about that. Yeah. And Janice also comes up with this phrase. It's a sin to waste good food to the kids. When... My interpretation is that that Bo yeah onions. that she knows that Bobby's doing this somehow. Like I feel like she's like basically spying on him, and she's using his actions in a kind of conniving mm. way to get what she wants. So she kind of puts that line out there, and then goes up and finds out about the cake. And it seems like she's just asking questions to get there, but considering what we see later on with Vlad six six six, and then going over. And saying, oh, man, did you get something to eat? And then going to get the ZD and then using that to control Bobby. She's clearly a woman with a plan. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really interesting concept there because when she's talking about it's a sin to waste good food, talking about the Outback food. And she references how much she paid for it to Bobby. But then... $30 just for the sides. <laughs> but then in terms of Bobby sacrificing the cake, it takes on a different meaning. Because Bobby is actually doing it in a very loving way. And when we think about food as a symbol on this show, it's typically being, you know, people are just kind of gorging out on it. They're just, there's an association to violence. But nobody is ever sacrificing food for something noble or, mm. or empathetic. That's mm. unheard of. Right. So for Bobby to be going to her gravesite and giving away food when he's also a large character who obviously like loves to eat. There's something there that for me in some ways goes against the idea of it being a sin. So for Janice to say it's a sin to waste good food, I actually think all of her actions are are much more of a sin than anything he's doing. I think there's actually something caring and noble about what he's doing that's not getting any credit and actually being manipulated and taken away from him. Right. Interesting. I, I don't really get the rising damp. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand the two words together, rising damp. I mean, 
I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it could be just be a code name. We could be overthinking it. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this show. I got. I was feel like I was thinking about like the seance that they have with yeah. AJ and that like sea captain or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's true. But the, there's but like I, water. Yeah, I just scenes. I don't understand it, and it is obviously. I mean, it could be like death. I guess like, are you damp, damp when you die? Like when Ew. you're buried? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they they are these kind of like dark images, dark kind of words. Yeah, I just don't get it. I don't. Yeah. I don't get that, and I don't. I mean, I know that she's like in that scene where she comes up with rising damp. We see her smiling, like she's yeah. having a good time by th- by manipulating yeah. and coming up with this creepy imagery Mm -hmm. and she's preying on people that are very sensitive and that are kids their mother just died and are like very very supernaturally sensitive because we saw bobby's daughter was already worried about it then aj preys on it yeah and then it's a disaster and then janice is enjoying herself as she pushes that even further yeah i mean to a way further yeah place totally so there's something in her that she just enjoys coming up with something spooky which is pretty messed up there's definitely a connection for me between janice and aj with that lack of empathy um when we think about aj in that scene where he's leading the seance it's actually really interesting how he's like drawn to something that bleak because not many characters or not many people in the world would be doing something that kind of messed up and clearly not sympathetic to what these kids have just gone through i thought it was interesting like the imagery and the lighting in aj's room like it's obviously very dark but um, as they're having the seance, but there's a lot of things going on. There's like these like Slipknot posters, and interestingly, there's kind of like a weird blue light happening. Yeah, very dark colors, mm-hmm. and, and and interestingly, similarly to we had a New Jersey Devils banner behind Ralph. Now actually, we see two insignias for the New Jersey Devils before the last scene ends in mm-hmm. AJ's room. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these these links to the supernatural and death and hell, and I think that yeah, Janice. And AJ are kind of both coming out of that same place. Like, they are related and they have that same attribute. Uh, Later on when we see Janice then going to Bobby and manipulating him, getting him to eat the ZD, there's something interesting. There's candles between Janice and Bobby, kind of like there's a candle between AJ and Devin and the kids that kind of replicates the seance and also replicates or, or maybe mirrors the way that they're both taking advantage of right of these people right, for right, something right. that they want yeah sorry i just realized there was something i forgot to say about tony's second dream yeah um just related to that like becoming devilish kind of thing you, you triggered me when you were talking about the new jersey devils um when he wakes up from his dream and it's 907 i don't know what that means but he goes into the bathroom and it's that creepy red light right yeah. and he looks at himself in the mirror yeah and it is kind of like he's like a cartoon image of a devil. You yeah. Know? Like with red, totally. with red Well, that's skin. fascinating for me, too, because he's in the darkness and then he goes to like the red light where it is almost like a caricature of hell. And yeah. it, it lights him in a way that we can't help but associate with those yeah. kind of themes. But then interestingly, he opened the 
door and he goes out into the blinding light. Yeah. Which is especially interesting to me because that replicates what happens at the very end of whoever did this when he's at the Bada Bing and he opens right. the door and he goes out into the light and we get the like electronic music yeah. to score it. So now that's happened twice and both um, have happened at times. What's the song at the end of this one? It's actually, Surfing well, USA. At this one it's Surfing yeah. USA. Yeah. yeah. The other one is just electronic music. Well, but it's also, I mean, check out Sopranos Autopsy for his write-up on that as he goes deep into the way that it replicates Italian cinema oh, and, right, right, and the right. way it recreates a Western film. Yeah, that's, it's that's okay. Very interesting. You, you can read that one on your own. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do it justice anyway. Um, but what's interesting is, yeah, that, that play on dark and light, thinking almost about like what Meadow said in the, uh, what's the Robert Louis Stevenson poem? No, the like. Oh no, uh, Robert Frost. Sorry, walking, Robert stopping by woods yeah, on a snowy exactly, evening. Right. Who's the, Robert E. Stevenson? No, not Robert E. Stevenson. Anyway, whatever. I was wrong. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> I messed up. Okay. It's okay. Everyone Google Robert E. Stevenson. No, Robert I, Louis Stevenson. Well, Google him. I'm Robert E. Stevenson. I don't know who that is. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> but that idea of like the like. AJ saying, I thought that right. black was death. And then right. Meadow saying, nope, snow too. White like, is White too. is also, yeah. which is something that they've played with, you know, at multiple places. Yeah. Like in Pine Barrens with the association with the afterlife and death. Um, but But also in this episode, so I, now that that's happened twice, like going out into the blinding light. Yeah. There's something for me about... Tony leaving this interior environment and going outside and it's in Miami and it's nice and it's sunny. Surfing USA is on. It's an entertaining kind of happy song. But as he leaves this very dark, hellish place. And for me, it's about this internal turmoil that Tony's going through. And that's really the theme and the main point of this episode is that you can't escape that. Mm -hmm. That's where he lives. That's where he is. And that darkness be it at the Bada Bing or at the Miami hotel room, he can escape it into the real world and mm -hmm. function and maybe solve some of his problems, but that's what we're left with. Yeah. And that's what he's left with. There's something like about crossing thresholds or something like that. Like there's there's something like trans transformational or like kind of like I'm thinking about Ralph and his metamorphosis. Like there is something about passing through doors, right, that is... Right. Transitional. Right. Anyways, right? So, and, and because the dream ends with him kind of passing through that door to the house, and then moments later, he passes through the door from his dark hotel room out into the light. Yeah. There's something about that yeah. for me. I thought it was also interesting in that dream how he wakes up in a sweat and then he goes to the restroom, which really ties that scene into Funhouse when Tony is having these fever dreams and mm -hmm. then eventually finds out that pussy is the rat and then goes off and kills him as a result. Mm -hmm. So like that idea is of like... Is it in Funhouse where we have er, another car dream? No, I'm, talking, I'm thinking about the car dreams. Well, I don't know because there's a lot of dreams in that one. Actually, that was what I wanted to say, but yeah. I didn't want to go on the record. I know. It's a lot of pressure. Um, but anyway, yeah, that idea of like his subconscious propelling the narrative forward in a really major way and also of telling him things that are extremely important to him, the things that really matter. And so we have him waking up sweating, like almost sick. And we see him going outside in Miami and he's not doing well. That links it to that climactic moment of season two where his dreams are kind of telling him these important things. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm quickly looking Ooh, at Val's my... going through the funhouse notes. 
I, I'm not seeing anything jump out to me right <laughs> well, away. But you can let us know. Yeah. We're interested. We like analyzing dreams. My notes dreams are really in weird, Sopranos. though. It's like a fever dream. Yeah, my notes are basically <laughs> a fever dream. Oh, yeah, that's... no. Aid, Tony, and Chris are in the car. Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's good. Yep. And good. I wrote, where is he? And then I said something about toilet paper. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Anyways. Toilet paper. What does it mean? <laughs> but yeah, it was Aid, Tony, and Chris. Okay. Aid, Tony, and Chris. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So none of those other characters are showing up now in the car. Right. Wow. Well, it's a really, it's a great episode. And I like the way that there are these subconscious elements that are important to the episode in the midst of Tony leaving therapy. I think it's really well done. Yeah. I think it's like more subtle than some of the other episodes, but it's amazing. Yeah. And an important episode. You know, which we even see, like, it is one of these that David Chase was involved with both in the story and the teleplay. Seems like the whole team was kind of working on it. Tim Van Patten was directing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think it is it is an important episode, even mm-hmm. though it might not feel like it. Mm-hmm. So we're getting very near the end of season four. Yeah. So we're going to keep at it. Do more Sopranos analysis. And talk about it more. We'll talk about it more soon. Yeah. See you then. Bye.